Hi everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend a few minutes today here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Ian Morgan Crone. And if you're not familiar with Ian, Ian is the author of The Road Back to You, which is uh, probably the landmark Enneagram book for uh, wanting to understand the Enneagram and learn more about it. And Ian is somebody that I've uh, wanted to have, have on the podcast for years, and I'm glad that today we are finally able to make that happen. However, if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I want to let you know that there's two things that drive a lot of what we do here on the podcast. And the first one is this belief is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And the second one is this, is, this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not we agree with someone or on that particular subject 100%. Now, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, the Enneagram is a tool that helps us better understand ourselves. It is similar to a personality test, but honestly, at least from my perspective, it is so much more than that. And so I'll link to a couple of episodes that we've done in the past that help us uh, better understand that. However, I would recommend if you're not familiar with it, I would pick up Ian's book, The Road Back to You. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Ian, and then we're going to dive into our conversation. Ian is a champion of the Enneagram, awakener of people, and as I mentioned earlier, the best-selling author of the popular road or the popular Enneagram book, The Road Back to You. As a pioneer in the contemporary Enneagram movement, Ian is a highly sought-after speaker for large conferences and corporate boardrooms alike. He is a master teacher of the Enneagram, an agent personality typing system that identifies nine types of people and how they relate to one another and the world. The Enneagram is a powerful tool for understanding why we behave the way we do and how our personalities are powerfully influenced by our motivations. It provides a framework for how we begin to live into our most authentic selves and also reveals the wisdom each Enneagram uh, personality type can offer to others. The Enneagram is therefore not just a powerful tool for personal growth, but also a great resource for transforming our relationships in every sphere of life. And he has recently released a brand new book called The Story of You, an Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your Truth Self. And in this book, what he does is he looks at the different stories that each Enneagram type tells ourselves and how we end up living into those new, living into those stories and how we can transition and move into a new and better story as well. So without any further wait, here is my conversation with Ian Morgan Crone. Well, Ian, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks so much, Caleb. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, you have this uh, brand new book, which, you know, by the time that this episode is out, has come out called The Story of You. And anytime that someone creates uh, a work of art or, and I would consider like a book, a piece of that as well. I love hearing the story or the series of events that led someone to go, hey, I, I feel like I need to put this out into the world. And so I would mm-hmm. just love to hear from you, kind of, how did you first encounter the stuff around the story of you and kind of walk us through the process of what led you to want to write this book? Well, you know, it really began 10 years ago uh, when I began to do a very deep dive into the Enneagram. And 
And then I wrote The Road Back to You, which was a primer uh, introducing people to the basics of the Enneagram. And then in the years that followed that, I um, began to think to myself, you know, yes, the Enneagram describes nine archetypal personality styles, but also that it describes nine archetypal stories that people inhabit, right? Or um, uh, live inside of uh, unconsciously for most of their lives, right? And, you know, when we talk about transformation of the Enneagram, I kept wondering, how do I simplify it and make it powerful? And it dawned on me that if I could frame these nine types as stories, that people could begin to work with them by changing the underlying premise of their story. And then if they did, they automatically would begin to experience rich transformation. And part of this was driven by my study as a therapist into the world of what's called narrative therapy. And the premise of that is that all transformation is story transformation. And so I was just excited to uh, not only present these as personality styles, but as stories that people inhabit and that they can experience rich transformation if they just change the underlying premise of each of those stories. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear more about narrative therapy. Would you mind just kind of diving into that a little bit more? Sure. Well, have you ever read the the children's author, Mo Willems? I haven't. No. Oh. Fantastic. Anyway, he has a great quote. He says, if you find yourself living in the wrong story, leave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I just love that because it's so true. You know, uh, all of us as little people craft a story to make sense of our lives. And we know this is true. We all know that we we experience our lives through a narrative lens because we're always saying stuff like, what's your story? Or you know, I turned another page in my life or I, I moved on to another chapter or whatever. You know, we, we just think of our lives as stories. And if we didn't adopt a story as a little person, our lives would feel incoherent, right? Like we have to find a way to explain to ourselves and others who we are and how we think the world works. And so the problem becomes when we unconsciously drag those childhood stories that we crafted into adulthood and continue to try and live in them. That's when those stories begin to really work against us. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I do want to ask you kind of like what, what, I mean, you refer to them as origin stories and kind of how they play out amongst each type. But one of the things, just as I was preparing for our conversation that uh, I would just be curious to hear your thoughts on is what are like some, I don't know if it would be like societal stories or thing or stories that you know you've heard that maybe just apply to everybody that maybe you know maybe it's just because of this moment or this time or whatever it is that just seem to be uh, reinforced onto everybody recently. Right. Well, I mean, I'm gonna one that immediately comes to mind. I don't know why, but you know, a, a cultural story could be "Little Boys Don't Cry." You, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's yeah. just a yep. story that that culture in, in, imprints on us as, as that needs to be unrooted, exposed and unrooted, 
Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, any, any others that come to mind or anything like that? Well, you know, cultural forces play uh, a huge part in the crafting of our individual stories. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, there, there are so many, I'm sure. But, um, well, I mean, I suppose we could we could also dive into this uh, notion of white privilege. Mm. I mean, that's a cultural story, right? That needs to be exposed and rewritten. And and so, uh, uh, you know, obviously that's that's a a very important one for us to confront. Yeah. Well, let's talk let's talk about some of the specific uh, origin stories and kind of how they uh, play out. And then I know that you give like a ton of examples of. Uh, tools and practices and stuff that can help for each type. And I don't want to get into necessarily all of those. You know, I want people to buy the book um, for that. But I would just love to hear uh, maybe maybe one type of story for each type that that we find ourselves playing out in our lives. Sure. Well, the the for example, the underlying premise of Enneagram Type One, the Improver, really is that the world only rewards people who are good and punishes people who are bad. And, and therefore, I have to perfect myself, others in the world, and avoid fault and blame uh, as a strategy to be good, right? Well, that might help you survive as a little kid in the world. It might help you, you know, craft a story that helps you uh, understand how the world works. But you know what happens when you drag that story into adulthood, right? I mean... Yeah. Not great stuff. And so, man, can you imagine when ones begin to face the false underlying premise of their story, all the good things that happen? Let me let me just point this out before I move on to the others. Mm-hmm. How do I know the how do I know these stories are false? Because every single one of them is in direct opposition to the story of grace. Mm-hmm. Where does it say uh, in sacred texts of all kinds that in order to win love, I must be perfect? I must perfect the world around me. That's a really bad story. That's a broken story, right? Yeah. So let's move, let's move on to the, the helpers, twos. You know, um, the, the, the broken story of the two centers around this idea that I will not be loved or appreciated in this world unless I meet the needs of everybody else and uh, disavow or not acknowledge my own personal needs. Right now, can you imagine as a little person, you run around, you get this message, you internalize it, uh, you craft a story around it, and you're just run around as the little helper and you get stroked for it. Right. But then you bring that story into adulthood unconsciously and you continue to live in it. It causes problems. Right. It causes codependence. It causes all manner of, you know, uh, catastrophe. So threes, this one is an easy one. Threes. Craft around, craft a story around the mistaken belief that the world only values people for what they do, not for who they are inside. And so, because of that, um, as a strategy to win love, they have to be successful. They have to appear successful, and they they have to avoid failure at all costs. Uh, and again, works for you as a little kid, maybe makes sense of your world. But we all know the workaholics that sort of develop into later on in life. And I mean, any type can be a workaholic, but threes are most notorious for it. 
Um, and, uh, you know, just the, the life of emptiness that can create. Yeah. So fours, you want me to keep going? Yeah. 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 Uh, actually I would say, uh, and I, we didn't get a chance to talk. I, I, I'm a, th- I am a type three as well. And I so resonate with, with everything that you're saying. Um, and one, one thing that I'd be curious actually to ask you about, I, uh, you know, one of the things that I came across recently, um, just scrolling, scrolling through Twitter, and that's not always like the best place to look for, you know, Enneagram knowledge. But one of the things that I was very curious about that I saw is, um, this guy had tweeted and said, you know, one of the unique things about Enneagram threes, uh, is, you know, our, our, our struggle to be authentic. Um, and, and we don't really believe that people want us to be <laughs> authentic. And he said, you know, um, that whenever we are authentic, we, we almost like overload or, uh, vomit authenticity on mm-hmm. to people. Um, mm-hmm. and I would just be curious your thoughts on like, how do you, how do you balance like not vomiting on everybody, your, your total authenticity versus not holding back? Yeah. Well, okay, so here's the danger for threes as they begin the journey of transformation. It is not authenticity. It's something close, but not quite. It's calculated transparency. And so sometimes I've seen this with threes where in the beginning, as they begin their work, they start to share, but what they don't realize is that the sharing is part of creating another mask. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I've yeah. seen, oh, past, yeah. I've seen, oh, yeah. I've seen, th- I've seen three pastors do this, right? <laughs> Where it's like they get up front and they just try to share their deepest problems and be real, and you can just tell that it's not authentic. It's really just calculated transparency. It's it's there to create an effect, right? To mm-hmm. to have people go, "Wow, he's so real," or "She's so real," and I, it's so cool. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And and yep. I have no. I've known plenty of threes who are like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that uh, for a little while. And then I realized that wasn't real authenticity. It was still in service to making me look successful. Right? Yeah. Now, now, authenticity for me is when you start to speak truth about your inner terrain, and it kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Uh, fear starts to come up. Anxiety starts to come up. You might get a lump in your throat. You, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yep. And and I think every type fours, I'm a four, we have to do the same thing is, you know, is the person I'm sharing this with capable of carrying its freight, right? It's like yeah. too much, you know, overshare, you just have to begin to dial it in and learn from, you know, making mistakes. Um, however, I think all of us in the beginning would do better to maybe overshare and dial it back than the yeah. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It just, what you were saying, it just made me think of like one of, I think one of my signals uh, for me that I'm being authentic is I'll, I'll usually say the phrase, I hate, fe- I hate feeling this way mm. about it uh, because, you know, uh, you know, us threes, we're naturally optimists <laughs> and it's, and it's usually in, Usually the feeling is in uh, contradiction to something that is not very positive in it. <laughs> yes, and and that's what sometimes makes you know threes and sevens are kind of similar in that regard, but it's different. You know, a 
A seven will reframe a negative into a positive. A three, when they're not very healthy, will spin a negative into a positive. And those are, are a nuanced difference, but an important difference. Yeah. I, w- I would love your thoughts more on that, of like the, the, the spinning piece of it, because how, how, do you balance, how do you balance that between having like a, and, and this may not be the best terminology to describe it, but having like a positive outlook on life versus um, like fault, like I guess it would be like toxic pos- positivity as well. Mm-hmm. How do you balance between the two? Well, I think it's acknowledging that whatever it is that you're facing is hard. It's not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't gloss that over. You say, look, this is a hard situation. This is a frightening situation, whatever it may be. However, I think we can rise to the challenge. So, you know, sometimes a three, when the world is crashing and falling apart around them, they don't want others to see that they know they're in trouble. They want to look confident. They want to look together. They want to look like they're at the helm that, you know, when uh, the simple acknowledgement that we have, yeah, mission control, you know, (laughs) we have a problem, Houston, (laughs) and I think we can do something about it. And the healthy three will say, and let's fix it as a community, not, not as, you know, me coming to the rescue and making it work. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Let's go back to the origin stories. I think we left off with, uh, with type four. Yeah, I'm a four. So this is I'm this is one I know well. You know, fours, their broken story centers around their belief that they're missing something important in their makeup, right? Their inner makeup. And that everyone else seems to have it, right? And they continually compare themselves to other people and come up short. So that launches them on a quest, a lifelong quest to find the missing piece so they can experience belonging and wholeness, right? Now, that's a broken story, right? That that story, mm-hmm. again, that story helped me as a little kid to make sense of a world in which I was growing up with an alcoholic father. I was experiencing marginalization at school and bullying. And you know what I mean? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is why. Yeah. So I'm going to craft this story. Now, when I became an adult, I can tell you that led to all manner of problems for me, right? And it wasn't until I saw that as a story and realized I had the agency to rewrite that story that everything changed for me. And that's a lot of what the book is, is about, right? The story of you is about this idea that you are the narrator of your story. You get to define the story, right? Yeah. And you no longer have to live in those childhood stories and hold on to those mistaken internalized beliefs and messages you picked up as a kid. You can be free of those and you have agency to craft a better, truer story. So that's uh, that's a lot of what the story of you, that's the hope of the book, right? Yeah. So fives, uh, the investigators, they're, their story revolves around this mistaken belief that they don't have the inner resources to meet all the demands that life places on them. And because of that, you know, fives are, are often running around trying to conserve energy, to be self-sufficient, to be fiercely independent, to not rely on other people. Um, they isolate, they retreat into the, the, the 
castle of the mind where they feel more confident and safe. And they just gather tremendous amounts of knowledge and information, particularly about niche subjects, in order to fend off feelings of ineptitude and inadequacy. Right? Again, that is uh, uh, that story is a lie, <laughs> yeah. right? And you know, when you come into adulthood and you you hit a wall repeatedly, you begin to ask yourself, "Is this the story I want to live in anymore?" So the sixes, the loyalists, you know, the the loyalists build their story uh, around this idea that the world is a chaotic and unpredictable place and so i have to prepare myself for the worst right i I must mentally rehearse and prepare for all the bad things that could happen of course that's where we get that worst case scenario thinking behavior right now look the world is chaotic and unpredictable however (laughs) i just think about the fact that in, in the bible it seems to say an awful lot do not be afraid, right? Yeah. And so that that's a better message to begin to construct a new story around rather than be afraid all the time because that's going to help you prepare for when stuff goes sideways. Yeah. You know? Sevens, the enthusiasts, they, uh, in many ways, I'm going to say it this way. The seven story is built around this idea that if I suffer pain or distress or situations that cause what we would call afflictive emotion, no one will be there to support me. Mm. No, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have to take care of myself. And so the way the, the strategy the seven uses is to live in this, well, you used it, um, sometimes toxic positivity. It's, it's this belief that if I just stay future-oriented enough and pursue enough escapades and adventures and cram as many pleasurable experiences into the present moment as I possibly can, then I can avoid having to experience uh, distressing and painful feelings and situations, right? Again, boy, does that help you as a little person, you know, particularly if you grow up in, in difficult circumstances. And it's like, man, I I can't deal with this. I got to create a story that helps me to survive it. But man, when you bring it into adulthood, you end up uh, with a lot of problems on your hand. For example, uh, you know, when I meet a 40-year-old seven who hasn't done their work, inevitably they tend to be shallow Peter Pan types, right? Yeah. Uh, because, they, because they haven't allowed suffering to have its way with them, to deepen them, right? Eights, the challengers, their story is built around this idea that we live in a world that we're in which the, the strong uh, have the advantage and the weak get taken advantage of, right? And so uh, in order to you know, make their way in the world, they have to assert strength and control over, over others in the environment in order to mask vulnerability and weakness. Again. Help you live as a little person, but in adulthood, that story can come back and slap you in the face pretty hard. Yeah. Nines, nines, the peacemakers, finally. The nine story revolves around this idea that their presence doesn't really matter. 
that their opinions, preferences, and viewpoints just aren't as strong as everybody else's. And so why, why voice them? And the strategy for maintaining connection, for preserving inner and outer peace, is really to avoid conflict and to kind of merge into the priorities of another individual or a group, right? And in the process, nines can become selfless, not selfless, but with less self than other people have. Yeah. Again, again, the hope is, is that when people identify those as the underlying premise of stories, expose them and they can begin to uproot them. And guess what happens when you do? You automatically begin to experience transformation. Like you don't even have to do much. Yeah. Like, like like the shoots of your true self will begin to emerge from the soil and you'll be like, wow, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the things just as you were talking about that, I, I would be curious to get your perspective on. Um, and, and I was thinking as it pertains to like uh, the, the triads and the stances of Enneagrams, is there like unique challenges that you would say, hey, if you're in this a triad or this stance, you're probably going to like, this might be the struggle of, um, of your stance, your triad. Like I can think of like myself and probably sevens and eights. We, we would be a hard time slowing down enough to even pay attention to the narratives, um, in, in our yes. own lives. But I would just be curious your thoughts on that. That's a great question. And let me just say this, and I didn't really go into this in the book. I was tempted to, but this is a theory I have. Yeah. All human beings have, as little kids, all have three needs. One is for esteem and approval. The other one is for um, for control and the knowledge that they can affect the environment. <clears throat> and the other one is for safety and security. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just recognized, right? Mm-hmm. Every child needs that. Now, it seems to me that twos, threes, and fours seem to have, in, you know, in that heart triad, seem to have confusion or a sense of deficiency around esteem and approval yeah you know somehow they they just got the message i got to do something to win it as a little person you know i'm I'm uncertain i have it five sixes and sevens i think have confusion around or a sense of deficiency in issues related to security and safety right so they were in the head or the fear triad and then eights nines and ones have confusion or a sense of deficiency around uh, control and the ability to affect the environment and other people, right? And so, for example, eights will overplay. I need to really control other people and and myself and, uh, no, I mean, other people in the environment. Ones will be like, I got to control myself, you know? I have to control my inner world. I got to tamp down that anger, you know? Uh, and the way I can relate to the environment is by perfecting it, right? But nines are just asleep, right? To uh, the fact that they—I mean, I think nines kind of assume sometimes that they're they're unable to have any control or to assert the, the change in the environment. Yeah, and then uh, I would just be curious. Like, is there, is there anything with the stances that you're thinking about as it pertains to yeah, that well, again? You're, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, I'm not so sure. I mean, stances 
gives us a, gives gives us great data points. You know, yeah. um, three sevens and eights in that assertive stance. Um, in rewriting the story, I mean, each type is going to have its own problems. You mm-hmm. know, resistances because this stuff, these stories are embedded deeply in our minds and hearts, and we have been working with them forever as a survival strategy. So they're strong. Mm. You know, those stories are strong. Um, I think that we have to be careful of using the energy of our type to accomplish uh, the uprooting of the story. So one may try to uproot their story perfectly. You know, I must perfectly (laughs) uproot this story and get it done. Right. A two may feel ambivalent. Like, man, is, is my working on my story is that going to be selfish? Is it not? A two might think, I got to help other people and uproot their story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. get a new story. Yeah. Uh, and I could go on and on through them. I, I would just say, in short, that as we do the work of, of, of rewriting our story, we have to be careful that we don't unconsciously default to using the energy and the uh, unhelpful strategies of our types hmm. to... Uh, to accomplish the work, right? It, yeah. it makes sense. It makes sense that we would try. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and we've we've talked a lot about you know the 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 origin stories and kind of like uncovering the narrative. I would love uh, just to you know kind of maybe shift our conversation towards like the doing the work piece that you were talking about. And I know that you mentioned uh, all throughout the book like the soar uh, approach and maybe just giving like a a general overview of what that kind of looks like sure um so there's an acronym in the book that i use soar s-o-a-r um and it's sort of a framework for the journey of changing the story right so seeing is s right so the first thing we have to do is see the story for what it is it has to be seen and uprooted and exposed so for example the three has to uh see that much of their life has been centered around the belief they have to be successful, appear successful, avoid failure at all costs, and to really see um, by mapping out the story of their life how that has been the scarlet red, the red thread that has been running through the whole, like just how powerful it's been. And I, I always encourage people to journal or to at least sit with another person and share that story. Like, this is how that story has dominated my life. And then the next step is to own it. And that is really to take an inventory and own how that story has negatively affected you and others. Right. And this is to be done with a great deal of self compassion. Like, you, you were not consulted about the story. You wrote it unconsciously. It's not like you sat down one day as a three and thought to yourself, okay, here's how I'm going to get my needs for esteem and approval met. I'm going to, you know what I mean? It's like, you didn't, you didn't do that as a three-year-old, right? But to now look back and go, oh man, this has cost me. You know, I have a friend of mine who's been doing the work in this book and he's a three and he just wrote, you know, I think being a three and living in this story cost me my first marriage, you know? Um, I, I missed out on friendships that I could have had if I'd been, if I was, if I had been able to be more authentic, um, and, and the story goes on. So to own the consequences of the broken story, the the third one is to awaken. And and part of that is to recognize that each of our stories has a trance-like quality, 
You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we just go on autopilot. We're just kind of bumping along through life under the sway of that story. And how do we awaken to it in real time so that we can begin to do the work? What are the signals? What are the flags, the red flags that we have fallen back into the story? Like, what are the characteristic behaviors that tell us, uh oh, I'm back in the old story? Mm-hmm. Then the final stage is rewrite, which, which is to really sit down and begin to craft a new story that aligns with your values, your beliefs, uh, your spiritual uh, convictions. Um, and I think part of that is to, to move from part of that, our section rewrite, is to move from your type's deadly sin or passion to its virtue which is sort of what the Enneagram, not sort of, it is what the Enneagram teaches is the fundamental basis of transformation, right? So for me, it's this move from envy to equanimity, right? Um, When I hit equanimity, I know that I'm living in a truer, better story, right? When you move from deceit to authenticity, that's when you'll know, okay, I'm in the right story now, right? So Yep. That's the that's the framework I offer to people. There's more that you could do and add oh, yeah. to it, but I, I think it's a useful place to start. Yeah. I want to dig a little bit into the rewrite uh piece of it because that uh, at, at least for right now where where I find myself, I feel like I'm finding myself in the rewriting process of it. And I would just be curious to hear what what helped you like get to the place, or I shouldn't even say get to a place because I know that it's an on it's ongoing work. Um with it, but I would just love your thoughts on what has helped you in the process of rewriting your story. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You know, um, part of it has been driven by hitting enough walls in my life as a result of living in a broken story that I've been greatly inspired, if I might say, to to sit back and go, "I'm in the wrong story, man." You know, I uh, mentioned earlier that I I grew up in a very very hard childhood. And, you know, with great self-compassion, I've been able to look back and go, as I mentioned earlier, man, this story doesn't work anymore. Like this story is really causing me a lot of problems. What story does God want me to live in? You know, like what, what story does God have for me? And to really sit down and begin to realize for me, things like, Ian, there's nothing missing. There's nothing missing. Um, to realize that other people really suffer. You know, like, for example, recently I, I was the, a therapist on a, a weekend for people in recovery for addiction. And I, did, I had to lead six hours of group therapy every day. I heard so many broken stories. You cannot believe it. And what's interesting is, is when I introduced the idea of story, like what's the old story, what's the new story? People like you could see it in their eyes. Like they woke up and went, what, what did you say? Like, yeah, I said, you know, it's just a story that you've been telling yourself. And they went, that's right. (laughs) And then when I told them they could rewrite that story, it was like I invented fire. You know what I mean? It, It was fantastic. And, and I was like, you know, beginning the work is, and I, and I moved them through that sore process and they were I have to say they were kind of on the edge of their seats. I mean, it was like for them to realize I have the freedom, man. I have the freedom to change this story. Cause most of us think Caleb that we're stuck 
These are the cards that were handed to me. There's nothing I can do to change. And I don't want to say that you can change the facts of what happened back there, but you can change the way those facts affect you in the present moment, your self-perception and your perception of the world. And you know, the journey for me has been so exciting, this rewrite of the story. And often during the course of a day, uh, I'll, I'll realize I'm in the wrong story, man. I am in the wrong story. And things like mindfulness uh, practices and others have so helped me to sharpen my ability in the moment to realize I'm in the wrong story. Yeah. One of the things, just as I was going through the book, that caught me uh, caught me in, in the three sections so much. Um, and I really hadn't thought about it this way. As you talked about, um, the threes kind of have like this model of whatever it takes to make it happen, um, which is one of those things, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it until I saw it, until I, you know, read it. And then it's like, oh yeah, that is very much the case. Um, and I would just be curious um, if, if there was like anything else or any other mottos like that that maybe aren't like the 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 most well-known talked about thing for other types but is like their motto that they tell themselves that they may not be aware of wow that's a interesting question i've never really thought of um you know uh twos might be you have to give to get Mm. you got to give to get um you know, the, the eights motto might be something like, uh, you, you, you have to eat lunch or you'll get eaten for lunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I'd have to go through every single one. Uh, you know, the, the fives might be knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the sixes might be, oh man, I heard a great quote the other day. What, what was it? Um, uh, has something to do with being prepared. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but you sort of sprung a great question on me. I have to think about it, but but I, I do believe that every single yeah. one of those types could could easily have a uh, um, uh, a, a motto or a mantra that their story kind of repeats to them over and over and over again. That that's probably a little hypnotic. Oh yeah, very much. And like I said, with the whatever it takes for me, like I just. It's like, okay, I got to do this. I will just grind it out and I will take care of the consequences later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you have this uh, quote, which really resonated a lot with me. And you talk about it, um, that it's from your, from your sponsor, from Jack. And, you know, he said, you know, transformation begins when we let God do for us when we cannot do for ourselves. I would just love uh, your, just kind of your thoughts on that and like tease out what, what does allowing God to do for us, what we can't do for ourselves look like in our lives? Yeah. So I, I would self-identify as, uh, as a Christian and I don't presume that everybody who reads this book is, Mm -hmm. but for me, I believe that Christianity isn't something you do as much as it is something that gets done to you. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, because I believe that's what grace is. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe grace isn't saying to you work harder. I think I think really what it is is, and this is the work I think of all people of faith is to give God consent, to give God consent to do in us what we cannot 
do in ourselves, right? It's like, and 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 that sounds easy, and it may sound like I'm I'm advocating, you know, giving up responsibility, but that's not the case. Like giving God consent is a lifelong work. My ego does not want to give up control of the agenda here. And to give God consent to relax my grip on my strategies for survival that work against me ultimately you know that's that's something that takes a lifetime mm-hmm. one of one of the things that i thought of um as it pertains to this is you know whenever whenever you do the work of you know create a new story or create new habits in yourself um at some point you're probably going to meet resistance um from people who have gotten used to you know you you always did this or you're more like that um how how do you go about navigating that whenever we experience conflict or tension with people who are not happy about the new story that we're writing in our lives? Yeah, well, first of all, it's a caution to people who want to love people around them as they do their work to not try and force them back into the old story, mm. you know, but to encourage them as they try to do the work of of rewriting and living in a new one. Um but I think when it when someone asserts that kind of exerts that kind of pressure on you, I think one of the best ways to do it is just to tell them what you're doing. It's simply to say, let, let me give you an example. Let's say you're a two, the helper, and you've been, you know, um, making everybody's meals every single day, even though they're fully capable of helping. Uh, and, and and all of a sudden, you decide, okay, I'm doing. I want to live in a different story. I don't want to have to be manically helping all the time anymore that's not how i'm going to win love and appreciation that's the lie of that old story and then you begin to say hey could you guys help me out or you know you say to your wife could you make dinner you know three nights a week and you just begin to unwind the old story and if they push back you can say you know what this is part of this new work that i'm doing and and one of the ways you can help me is by uh um sharing the load you know what I mean? In a, yep. in a new way. You tell your 16-year-old, here's how you do the laundry now. You know what I mean? And if they say, I don't want to do the laundry. You always did the laundry. You can say, well, that's true. And I wasn't actually serving you well. I wasn't helping you to grow as a person when I did your laundry. And so it's a new story. You're going to have to st- – do you know where I'm going? Oh, yeah. It's like yep. just just name the journey you're on right out loud to people. Yep. Uh, I got one other thing I want to ask you, but before that, I love just giving people the chance just to say, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we talk about? You know, I just want to go back to this quote I mentioned earlier by Dan McAdams, who's a narrative therapist at Northwestern University. He says, all transformation is story transformation. Now, that's a powerful, powerful assertion, right? If you want to experience real change, you know, we tend to we tend to think, okay, here's how I implement real change. I just begin to try all these new habits, right? I try to do this and that, and it's a lot of work, and you you're always dropping balls. But if you can just say that comprehensively, the problem here is I need a new story. I need to expose and rewrite this old story. Transformation again will actually just begin to happen on its own once you begin that work. You know, because that's the root of the problem. So if you want new fruit on your tree, man, you got to do root work. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing that I would love 
uh, for you just to uh, maybe paint a picture of uh, for us is what's at stake if we don't do this work? And then on the flip side, what is the the life that we can experience through doing this work? Well, there's a lot at risk. And we've mentioned some of the problems that people will experience in adulthood when they unconsciously carry the old story of childhood into adulthood. You know, um, one is we're going to repeatedly crash and burn, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to continually to continue to make the same mistakes over and over again and pay the consequences for it. Um, And also, I don't think a true self can live in a false story. So, you know, uh, who wants to go through life um, locked into and trapped in a story that prevents us from becoming the highest expression of ourselves? So that's a lot. This is just a few of the consequences, but they're pretty darn big. And then on the opposite side, talk about the life that we can experience through doing this work. Um, well, freedom mm. would be one thing. The experience, the palpable felt experience of freedom. Um, I think uh, that we become more clear about who it is and what it is that we are supposed to be doing with our lives. You know? Uh, we're not going to be so distracted by the lies of our old story. Um, and we're going to experience the joy of increasingly feeling like we're embodying uh, our true selves, who we were before the world got its hand on us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. and that's a great feeling. Yeah. Well, and I know that people are going to want to you know, pick up the book, The Story of You, and listen to you on typology as well and just all the other work that you're doing where's the place to go for people to you know catch up with you and continue to learn from you yeah boy we have lots of offerings they could go to ianmorgancron.com it's i-a-n-m-o-r-g-n-g-a-n-c-r-o-n.com and uh check out all the offerings i have ian morgan cron at ian morgan cron is i can be found across all socials at that and so um yeah, I hope that people experience just great joy and rich challenge and transformation as a result of learning how to discard the old story and live into the new one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for doing the work. Thank you so much. I think for me, one of the big takeaways that I had from our conversation and really from reading the book was understanding, as I mentioned in the in our conversation, the the motto of our type, of my type being an Enneagram type three, and realizing that it's whatever it takes, and realizing how much that has driven a lot of my behavior. And, you know, and I, I talked a lot about this in 2021, and I'm going to, you know, probably keep talking about it in 2022, but just understanding the importance of those, those sayings or those things that we say to ourselves and how they how they influence and drive our behavior. And so for me, understanding that and realizing like, yeah, I do have that mentality of whatever it takes and realizing that it is not necessarily a bad thing either. However, whenever, uh, but it can be, it can be harmful and it can be hurtful in, in some instances. For it. So just realizing that and figuring that out as well. I would love to hear from you. 
and anything that you took away from this conversation or just anything that you're learning about in general. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. If you have any guests or topics that you would love us to cover, you know, in 2022 or uh, beyond, I don't know, whenever you're listening to this. Um, But yeah, that's the best way to reach out to me. And I would love to hear from you. I think that's all that I have for today. And so, oh, and uh, leave a rating. It would mean a lot if you left a rating and wrote a review. Spotify just recently, you know, uh, added ratings to their podcast. So if you listen on Spotify, go and listen to the rating. You just scroll to the top and you'll see those five stars. And that would be great. Um, and hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you're using as well. So thanks to Garrett Oler for doing the editing on this podcast. Thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music. And thank you for listening uh, all the way to the end of the podcast. And thanks again to Ian for being on the podcast as well. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.